I was always ready for a challenge, right? And I, I'm ready to have this critical dialogue, which I'm, I'm down to jump in. I always facilitated that too much. So what started to happen was I'd be really combative with my, my supervisors. I've had said it many times, you want to go to HR? Like, we can go right now. We can go have this conversation with HR. I don't think you want to do that. So I became that person. Then you notice the people that make the decisions on you moving up are these same people that you pissed off and you didn't have good working relations with, right? Being aggressive was how I got ahead. And now I had to just, I had to go at this very, very differently in this adult professional world. That wasn't going to work anymore. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of it. doesn't matter how badly you got beaten. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Can you state your full name and a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is uh, Kevin Green. I am uh, <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur, definitely by heart. I've always said that I wanted to be a businessman. I didn't know what business that was going to be when I was younger. The last 11 years, you know, I've been able to embark on um, marketing, advertising, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Um, I'm also the co-owner and vice president of uh, the Cleveland School of Cannabis and our uh, affiliates, the Harrington Institute and Cannabis Hub. And it's been really just an awesome journey to be able to really do some awesome creative work over the last 11 years, be a part of some great experiences um, and, you know, do some and then do some new things, especially in this cannabis market. So you were born in Jamaica, moved to the U.S. at six. Uh, do you remember anything about that that move and I guess like the, the Jamaican context that you were born into? What I will say is I do remember the day I got here because uh, that was a shocking moment because I got here um, on the onset of winter, right? So that was a difference, uh, a clear difference. And snow came very much shortly after that. And I remember that whole night of, you know, coming in late and just dramatic kind of switch, switch, switch. What I will say is my family is very Jamaican still. So um, I didn't mean? really even... Un- Meaning like my Jamaican culture was still so strong in my household where it, it it was all the people that I interact with from basically all the time that I spent in New York from six to nine. I didn't really interact with Americans like so all of our family, friends, everything was Jamaican. So everything that I did was still so much engulfed in our culture from the food, everything, people that I seen, even going to school at that time, all the friends that I hung out with really outside of that associated with, they were Jamaican as well when I was in Brooklyn. So I didn't know much about American culture uh, for a while. So did you feel like that was like a positive environment to grow up in being surrounded by so much of culture from home? Um, Yeah, you know, for me, you know, not being able to grow up there without them, you know, I'd be even more disconnected than I am, you know, now. I think it's enhanced me to have multiple lenses and be better at the work that I do, right? I'm a creative person. I'm in the market advertising, but also I work in the space of cultural competence and diversity, equity, inclusion. So I understand multiple cultures. Did there, was there any hustling that, that came up early in childhood? So by the time of uh, third, fourth grade, I moved to New Jersey and uh, my mom was working in upper New Jersey, you know, basically cleaning homes, all this type of stuff, you know, grinding it out. And she told me, she's like, you should come with me and wash their cars. So my first business, my first entrepreneurial journey was my mom saying, come to work with me. 
basically start a car washing business and while I'm here cleaning you can wash your cars you know that was that was the first that was the first one and a lot of things spurred off to that you know cutting grass and a, a lot of hustling man through elementary school middle school high school what do you like about it I think that is one of the biggest rushes right when you have this idea and then you actually like make it happen and then you're sitting like in it because the whole time making it happen, you're in grind mode, right? And being an athlete and things of that sort, that's where I harness, I think, a lot of my grind mode, right? So my mom, you know, showed me entrepreneurship. I got into sports, sports. That really showed me, like, you can really harness your grind to manifest something that you can't see right now. And that's what I think sports and athletics are all about, right? You put in a lot of work to play very few games. But, you know, as an entrepreneur and being older now, that's what it is, man. It's like I sit back sometimes. And I'll be, I remember telling myself when I started to think, I wanted to travel the world doing business. So I'll be in a city by myself, kind of taking that moment. I'm looking at a skyline. It's always a little thing that I do. And I'm just like, man, you did it. That That's probably the, the, the best part of this whole time, man. When you see what you thought about and you're living it like, oh, snaps, we did it. <laughs> yeah, you had these 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 dreams growing up and, and you're, you're finally there. But before you were there, uh, there was a little bit of a slog. So like, uh, can you tell me about how you got involved at, T-Mobile needed a job. That's what it was, man. I saw a billboard. I had a friend and he's like, yo, let's go interview. The opportunity that really came there for me was I learned corporate America there, right? Because where I was working was like, they did everything, right? So they had the call center, they had fraud, they had, you know, some marketing stuff. They had new development because it was a very big compound. So it had all of these different departments. I got to see a lot. You know, and without me being there, I saw the future there, right? So it wasn't in the plan. It was the fact that I need to get a job and I need to get back on my feet right now and make some decisions after the whole, after school and things of that sort. And it put me in mobile communications, which is the world that we live in today. So truthfully, I, I think it was when we think about manifesting, you know, your destiny, right? Like opportunities come and sometimes they're put in your way and you have to take advantage of them and be able to see, you know, the good in that. Um, and I think that's what happened for me. And I think that's what makes me a good entrepreneur is that I'm able to really see opportunities as they're coming, even though it might not be the direct line, which most cases is not a direct line. You know, it's a zigzag. It's all over the place sometimes. When did you know that, like, you, you were kind of done there? When, when did you feel some, like, a little antsy and why? I didn't understand workplace politics the way that I do now. A lot of my drive and my, I guess, my leadership skills weren't fully honed yet. So a lot of that stuff came off very combative. I was a very combative person. I was a very aggressive, combative person, right? And I didn't play the workplace politics properly. And when I started to take a look at that, I, I, I was taking a look at a lot of things, right? Like one, I wanted to be able to do my own thing my own way. Um, I needed handcuffs off, right? I, I hated the whole PTO thing. I hated all of that. The process, you got to show up here. I just, that whole old mindset of how to work, which the whole world has changed now. Finally, now we know somebody can be productive at home consistently. That whole thing changed. So that's what was driving me was just like, look, I didn't navigate these politics right, but I learned a lot by not navigating them right. But also I think it's time for me to do something because I have my own vision and I believe that I can do something to actualize it. So that's what I was starting to focus on. As you said, run its course. It was like my energy was gone. Can you give me an example of like not navigating the politics correctly? Because I <laughs> I also struggle uh, with like <laughs> politics. Being the, uh, the person that was always, I was always ready for a challenge, right? And I, I'm ready to have this critical dialogue, which I'm, I'm down to jump in. I always facilitated that too much. 
So what started to happen was I'd be really combative with my my supervisors. And because, you know, I'm pretty intelligent a guy and I understand how the system works, you know, I'm taking note on the things that they're not doing well either. But how about I've had said it many times, you want to go to HR? Like we can go right now. We can go have this conversation with HR. I don't think you want to do that. So I became that person. Then you notice the people that make the decisions on you moving up are these same people that you pissed off. I had to learn like, you know, that's not the way to deal with all conflict, right? I, I needed to grow up and I needed to mature. And my conflict, my conflict resolution skills weren't good, you know, at that point. Right? They came from the aggressive state, which again, coming from sports and all the grind that I've always had my entire life since the day I was born, being aggressive was how I got ahead. And now I had to just, I had to go at this very, very differently in this adult professional world that wasn't going to work anymore. Did you take some of those lessons to your next entrepreneurial venture with with faces or or like did you take some of those notes or did you like amp up the the aggressiveness to succeed in the cutthroat land of entrepreneurship? So I took what I learned in the sense of that you have to be able to harness your aggression. You have to know when it's time to do it, when it's time not. And I'm still working on that every day, right? I still had my go-getter aggressive attitude because you got to put boots on the ground and make things happen, right? So that is what drove you to be able to get up every day and work. But in the sense of how I navigated personal relationships, how I navigated work relationships um, changed. And I started to evolve in a sense because I saw what happened when I did it another way. So I completely almost in a sense kind of not fully reinvented myself, but I definitely grew up and I refined myself. You know, especially when you're by yourself now, you know, you have to have more coming to the table and you're new. You got to prove yourself. So there's certain acumen that people are making decisions based on what they're seeing, right? What they're seeing, what they're hearing, you know, what they're feeling from you. I had to really start to work on my interpersonal skills and become a better listener. Again, every single day I'm working on being better at that. Uh, sometimes I def catch catch myself because when I, I feel that this is what it needs to be and how we need to be, I am no holes bar about making sure that everyone knows this is what I want to be done um, and voicing that type of situation. So it's still something that's a work in progress every single day. How did that develop in, in developing Faces International? You know, so Faces International marketing, um, advertising development firm, our focus, obviously, in those areas in development is in staff development, cultural competence work, DEI, diversity, team development work. Our whole entire focus was marketing was changing. And when I say I saw the future, I was here in telecommunications. While the market was crashing, people were doing spending all their money on cell phones. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, well, the market's crashing, but this is changing the world right now. And it's not slowing down. So that gave us a real good end to say we could be a part of this shift. And, you know, the digital age was coming. And, you know, we know what now where we are with digital advertising. This was pre before you can run ads on social media. You know, think about that. People don't even understand. Some people forget that world. Like we started doing digital stuff prior to that. So, you know, for us, it was like, how do we make an imprint? How do we put our minds into these creative spaces? How do we help organizations be able to go ahead and reach the population that's changing as well, right? We're seeing how that actualized, right? But 11, 12 years ago, we were still in that old phase. Like, consumers are completely different now. Yeah. Like once again, you're seizing that opportunity, even the face of like maybe some superficial metrics telling you, oh, maybe it isn't the best time to start a business. But like you saw opportunity regardless of that. When did you know that it was time to search for that next project? You know, so from an entrepreneur standpoint, I think you're always going, right? I, I think you just start to get a compass 
as you make mistakes. Sometimes what's hard is you you get pulled back. Well, how do you let go? Because you're like you've built like you've built a thing that you know is working. Like what was the the choice to let go and start something new? You know the whole situation with that. When you're going through that, I always talk about the stomach entrepreneurs need to have. Right? You could be smart as hell, and I mean you can have some great skills. But if you can't weather the storm in the stomach, not only in the emotions that are going through your mind, those thoughts of doubt, because that's what that is, right? It's doubt. You know, you're doubting yourself if you can do more, if you can do without this. Like, is this what defines you? And I think as an entrepreneur, true entrepreneur, can run a thousand different types of businesses there should not be one niche that should bog you down there's transferable skills that translate to so many different things there's a base of how to build businesses how to do your work right um etiquette politics pr there's some base to this right there's nuances that we all do differently that make us unique in that but there's some base things that you need and i think for me what was going on was i had a 100 belief in myself that i would make it work you have to have that belief in yourself that no matter what, you're going to figure out a way to get it done because you're willing to put in the work to get it done. Did you ever doubt the switch to the Cleveland School of Cannabis? You know, not at all, because, you know, I'm still involved in that work. Right. So, you know, Face International Company is still going, still moving. I, I'm still involved in the organization. Um, and that switch, truthfully, it's I don't look at it as a switch. I look at it as an advancement. Right. Because I learned a lot. So moving into this industry that's new, I have a roadmap. I'm like, I see the parallels and I'm like, oh man, I've been through that. I've been through that. I've been through that. So faces, all it did was like, I always say those out like that was a training ground. I'm like, this was the show. So what are you doing now with the Cleveland School of Cannabis? Yeah, so now uh, with the Cleveland School of Cannabis, I'm the um, current uh, active vice president of the school. And my focus right now with the school is obviously still overseeing our marketing advertising side, but really transitioned in the last year into our business development and our public relations side. Can you talk a little bit about what it is and how you started it? So the Cleveland School of Cannabis is a workforce education company uh, for the cannabis industry. Our whole entire goal is to develop the future workforce of the cannabis industry, knowing that this is one of the fastest growing workforces in an area where most people know nothing about cannabis. Also, say why Cleveland? Well, guess what? Cleveland is going through a a revitalization and they're looking for new industries. And the Midwest wasn't there yet in the sense of cannabis when we started. But if we look at the Midwest now, the entire Midwest region has cannabis. Most of the states are legal. New York, Pennsylvania, all that stuff bumps up right from right around us. We're the center of all of those cities, Illinois. So our bet was to say East Coast is coming, Midwest is coming, and we want to be there to help people get in the industry as it came in. Uh, you know, if we, we look at the math, it's exactly what happened um, with that situation. So again, another right time inside seeing, seeing a vision and like, hey, let's do this thing. What do you think the hardest part of this is? Because um, we've been talking to a lot of growers up in Humboldt, right? And what they're saying is regulation is killing a lot of the, the OGs, right? Like the people that, that that started this whole movement are now being punished for being legal. Growing, harvesting, and selling weed legally is really hard in the U.S. From tracking to packaging, the laws are different in every state. All these unavoidable regulations make starting a weed business really expensive. Those situations begin to favor people who've traditionally had good access to capital. And oftentimes that correlates with being white. It is very white, male dominant, and there's no reason that that is what it should be. Only 2% of cannabis entrepreneurs are black. Yet black Americans were most affected by marijuana's illegal status in the past. 
So do you think there exists a place where the the people who started this movement can coexist with like the new more tech and entrepreneurial founders in this space or do you think they can't? I think they can. I, I truthfully believe there's always going to be a boutique situation, right? If we think about just our product lines, right? There's a there's a white T-shirt for $3. There's a white T-shirt for $400, right? Um, it's exclusive. It's got this type of con. It's this thread, whatever it is, right? There's uh, It's boutique, right? So I believe when we think about the, uh, you know, some of the OGs that have been in this game, um, at the end of the day, regulation is tough, man. Definitely needs to be advancements in that. Um, and I just I think the only way we do that is continue having conversations, but also building coalitions. You know, strength is in numbers and we need to making sure that there is relationship building uh, that and there's some intersectionality in how we actually go and accomplish that. So you have students between the ages of 18 and 67. You have a 12 week program over 150 clock hours. Um, you're you're basically teaching and preparing graduates for employment in the industry, for expansion in the industry. Where can people find out more about what you guys are doing and, and what you're about? Uh, yeah. So uh, Cleveland School Cannabis, you can Google that, obviously. Uh, you can type that into any social media handle will pop up. Uh, our website is csceducation.com. That's csceducation.com. And truthfully, you know, our whole entire thing is to partner with you in your educational process. So, you know, we urge everyone to reach out and ask some questions, you know, get some information, make educated decisions, right? We're just excited about what the future holds, especially with our partners like Al Harrington for Viola Brands um, and a few others in the Midwest that will be rolling out in 22. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez, Renee B. Cannon, Sophia Donner, Maura Lynch, Zoe Maddox, Ashley Jimenez, Michael Chung, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from Sarah Hobson, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, Jake Wiley, Ibada Thrive, and Mecca Shelton. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen, with support from Abigail Azardia, Elise Caldwell, Jake Wiley, Jordan Ortiz, and Sanessa Gisley. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand, with support from Sohail Amatya, Tiffany Dane, Jonathan Wass, and Diana Marie Kandaza. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. Mm-hmm.